Well, 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 welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Still, coming to you from the land down under in Australia, Melbourne, Australia. Well, we're running towards the end of the year. A couple of episodes left of the Flat Out RC podcast, and this one is a winner. This is a great podcast because I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine joining me, Tim McDonald. Tim McDonald hails from New South Wales, and he's, he's you know known around the traps as an aerobatics gun. So we're going to have a great chat with with Tim. But uh, let's just take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, what has been happening? Well, not much. Well, not much from my perspective. Uh, I haven't been flying for a few weeks now. Weather's been bad. And as I write this, I am sitting here trying to recover from a dislocated shoulder. That's right. I popped my shoulder out last Friday in a dirt bike accident. My brand new dirt bike. I wasn't moving. I was actually stationary at the time and I fell off. So it looks like I'll be out of action from some hardcore activities. (laughs) In the, in the near future, but hoping that in a couple of weeks I should be right to, to fly a model aeroplane. I, you know, I could probably fly a model aeroplane now. It's just I can't carry the plane around. It's just a bit stiff in the shoulder. So I have a few medical appointments this week to try to get on top of things, get the rehab started and uh, get back to full strength. But uh, running up to Christmas now, um, only about a week or so to go. And that means Christmas shopping. So I hope that you've uh, sent Santa a list of all the model airplanes and helis and drones that you'd like to have. So they will arrive in time. And it's also a time of year where a lot of people get away. And I wonder whether you're getting away with any model aircraft or radio control aircraft. And normally I do. I normally uh, have a sort of a yearly ritual where we go down the coast to to some uh, to my mother-in-law's house which is down the coast i'm a member of a club down that way uh so no doubt they'll be looking forward to see me my yearly visit not really they always have a bit of a laugh when i turn up uh so i'll take a few airplanes not sure what i'm going to take normally i take my trailer and i take everything um but uh, due to my recent injury i don't know whether i'll just pack light and pack a couple of foamies maybe a glider maybe um we'll see dlg sort of out of the question at the moment so I would have liked to have given that a crack. But let's just say, don't know what I'm going to take, maybe some drones, but it's going to be a bit lighter than I originally expected. But all will be fine. You know, it's a funny time. You know, you go on holidays and we're still at the mercy of the weather. And so we never know what's going to happen wind-wise or rain-wise. And so I've had many Christmases where I've taken the whole entire kitten caboodle and haven't used it uh, just because the weather hasn't played ball. So you never know. So that's what I'll be doing uh, besides re- rehabbing my dislocated shoulder and <laughs> hopefully flying a few few aircraft at some point in time. So we've got still one more episode to go of the Flat Out RC podcast, uh, which will be a pre-Christmas show. And then we'll take a little bit of a break through January uh, just to rest and recuperate and not think about producing another podcast until maybe February. So anyway, but I'll be back definitely. So that's about it. As far as hobby news, not much going on. Um, the main protagonists are still producing models. Extreme Flight, Pilot RC, Hangar 9 seems to be leading the way. I did see that, I think it's Seagull Models have got a new scale plane, a new Cessna or something coming out, like a Cessna Caravan kind of plane. 
I think it's a caravan. Looked like a bit of like a twin otter to me, but it's uh, it's not because it's got a single engine. But I'll tell you what, a model twin otter would be awesome. Great stole uh, plane that is the twin otter. So anyway, uh, hopefully twenty twenty one bring us some new and exciting products to talk about. My favourite time of the podcast because I'm sick of talking to the microphone by myself. So it's where I have a guest, and this week's guest is Tim McDonald. Tim McDonald hails from, as I said, New South Wales, and he's he's having a lot of trouble getting to the flying field nowadays, old Timmy, because he he's got a young family and an extremely hectic job which keeps him busy. But as I always say, aeromodelling is not just about getting to the flying field; it is thinking about it. It's about getting on the sim. And I tell you what, Timmy's still doing that. He, uh, you know, before I got on air with him, he was proudly telling me how he's moved house and he was showing me how he's going to set up a, his model building area and all that kind of stuff. So he's still got the bug hardcore. Uh, he's well and truly an aero modeler, uh, known amongst the iMac aerobatics scene, but also known as a 3D freestyle aerobatics guy as well. And one of the best going round. He does fly at the top level of IMAC and he's won national championships in freestyle as well. So a good guy to talk to and a good friend of mine. Love catching up with Timmy. We spent a lot of time together over the years and uh, I um, really want to get him on the podcast just to share his story. And uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, so we cover a lot of ground with this podcast. So please enjoy this chat with my friend, Tim McDonald. Well, it's my great pleasure today to have a mate on the Flat Out RC podcast, a gentleman that I've known for a number of years and got to know really, really well, Tim McDonald. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Silly. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, I'm it, pumped. You've, pumped. You've been on the on the schedule to get on this podcast for a long time, but you, you're probably one of the busiest guys I know. You're, you're a big legal eagle with Lend-Lease. They work you to the bone. But I also know you as a very avid aero modeler, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, no law today, please. Nah. <laughs> this is strictly an aero modeling zone. Yeah, for me. Now, how did I just you get your video, Tilly? Yeah, I, I just turned my video off, Tim. I know you like looking at me, oh. but I'm getting some glitching. I'm I tell you, I do. My internet's not great, so I, I flicked it off. I just, I just want to see your pretty face. See, Tim's so Tim's located in Sydney. I'm located in Melbourne, um, and we haven't seen each other for for a while. So he he wants to stare into my my eyes, even though we, we were just comparing um, our prescriptions for our glasses, and I beat him. I'm I'm more blind. Uh, now, Congrats. we'll do that later. Focus, Tim. How did you get started in aero modeling? Because I actually don't have a clue how you started. I know where you've ended up. I don't know how you started. So how did your journey begin? Um, so, um, when I picked up aerobatics about 10 years ago, I, I did, I wasn't actually picking it up for the first time. Um, my first foray into modeling was, um, via a crazy uncle, uh, around Christmas time when I was about 10 years old, um, a bit like an episode of the castle, we were thumbing through the the trading post. Uh, I know you still live in the Hunter Valley, so there wasn't a lot to do. And so we were thumbing through the trading post one Christmas and um, we, uh, we were trying to find crazy stuff to buy as you do. And there was a, 
a kit for sale um, for a, a little nitro plane with a motor and radio and a balsa kit. And um, I think it was a hundred bucks or less. We thought, stuff it, um, let's go and buy it. And so we did. And um, the crazy uncle kind of took one look at it and said, yeah, that looks a bit hard because it's just a box of sticks. Um, it was left at my house. And um, I was really curious. I've always been interested in, in things that fly. Um, and I started building it and I was only a kid and I completely botched it. Um, it was warped, but I built it. And, um, that was, and I ended up showing up to the local club and a couple of the older guys there kind of took me under their wing and um, helped me kind of finish it, maiden it, and uh, started teaching me to fly. So, yeah, I started quite young and sort of got, got flying and got to a point where I was flying circuits. Uh, I think I, got, I graduated to like an ugly stick. Um, I was doing circuits, soloing, a little bit of light aerobatics, and then I quit. I, I sort of finished school and um, went to uni and kind of forgot about it. And it wasn't until a few years later after I finished uni um, that I, I saw 3D um, as a thing. And as soon as I saw a video of someone flying 3D, I thought I have to get back in, back into this and I have to do exactly that. And that's, that's what kind of spurred me to, to get back into it. Just want to rewind a little bit, right? Sure. Because Oh, there's this recurring trend. I don't know whether you listen to the Flat Out RC podcast, but there's this recurring trend when I talk when I talk to guys, especially guys, about their history in the hobby. And they generally get to like the age of 18 and they fall out of the hobby because they get interested in girls and cars. <laughs> yep. Now, did you get involved in cars or I have a feeling there was something else that you were involved in at the time? Um. Never involved in cars. Uh, look, I, I ended up moving to Sydney, going to uni, and that, that made things pretty hard, living in share houses, et cetera. Um, I did at one point pick up a, a zaggy and start start sloping, but that was for me for many years. Um, I was in, you're probably alluding to the fact that I was in bands. Um, you are the closest I, thing to a rock star that I know. Which... Is probably not hard in the scheme of things, just saying. But uh, yeah, so music was actually um, probably the dominant force in my in my uh, social life um, for, for quite some time. And that definitely was not compatible with flying little aeroplanes. So what age did you, no, you got the recording contract, you fell out of the recording contract, you were probably chasing women at the time. Really far forward into the end. <laughs> yeah, and then and then that's it. That brings us to today. No, so what age were you when you came back to the hobby properly? Was it post university days? Back to the proper. Uh, oh, look, it was towards the tail end of uni. Um, so I would have been kind of mid twenties. Um, funnily enough, I had a, um, I had a an old model of mine, which was a, I think it was a little built up Mustang. Um, and I had it sitting up on top of my kitchen as an ornament, just cause I thought it looked cool. And one of my friends one day came over and, and commented, well, that thing looks pretty cool. Why don't you fly it? Um, and so that sort of got, got the spark 
you know, going again. And um, I put it on my to-do list to, to get going again. And I just, I needed that extra push, uh, the information uh, to, to take a leap. Um, and so I, I blame that friend for uh, all my misspent um, cash and, and youth ever since. Yeah, and it's been sort of nonstop since then. Now, you mentioned that you saw 3D fly. And we're both lovers of aerobatics and freestyle aerobatics, 3D flying. Who was the person that you saw? I know it wasn't me, but, and you know I've been a big influence. I didn't know you then. Yeah, that's right. Massive influence, silly. Absolutely. We know that. Um, Just just before you started being an influence, probably the the one video that really – tipped me over the edge um, and really wowed me was the uh, Chris Brislin freestyle. I um, don't know if you've yeah. seen it. It's um, flying a, a green um, extra 260, just like this one, but different color scheme. Uh, and he's flying, I think, Tucson in the US. Uh, I think Richo, um, Steve Richardson, Richardson was there. Um, and that was just an amazing freestyle routine. Um, it just had all the elements had no drama precision it was just phenomenal to watch and he absolutely threw down hard um and and that was um that was definitely what what hooked me um at the start that's interesting that it was a lot of people will go straight to a lot of the american flyers and european flyers but a local boy chris brislin who is an absolute gun last i heard that he's a, he's a pilot he's an airline pilot or something but he he was, you know, I think when I interviewed Richo for the podcast, Steve Richardson, he said that, yeah, Chris was just absolutely phenomenal. And um, it, it takes that spark, doesn't it, sometimes? Uh, I, I found my direction in aerobatics when I saw the great man Edo Sega fly in front of me. And well, he was a close second behind Chris Brislin. So I was going to mention him next. And I never actually got to meet Chris B or to see him fly for real and i agree so when i first saw when i first met ito and he was this amazing guy and then he flew and he was doing all of this stuff on a three meter composite plane and what really absolutely shocked me was how close and low it all was and so precise absolute Um, control absolute control and he was absolute gentleman and he was so encouraging of me as well Uh, at that point i was just starting to attempt freestyle had my little 50 cc extra that i absolutely loved um and he pushed me hard to you know to to, um to compete in freestyle and gave me lots of pointers that i still remember to this day and but seeing him fly and so effortlessly um that was a massive inspiration for me for sure yeah i always used to talk to me about your flying and thought that you're one of the one of the best going around which i, I do categorize you in australia as one of the best haven't seen you fly lately you know, i might have caught up with hey, you sorry. i'm pretty rusty yeah well, we're all a bit rusty. rusty we're all a bit rusty you know we're, we're busy we're in a busy stage of our lives with young kids and work a lot of work and stuff like that but yeah no ito was a, a big fan and it was funny ito it really loved sharing his experience and knowledge to other people he actually said to me one day that he wasn't getting great enjoyment out of actually flying a plane. To him, it was just another flight. But he really, really loved to go to a flying club and just coach some people. And that was a thing. Like we, you know, this is before you could, tell. You could really tell. It just he just oozed that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that mentoring kind of ability. Um, and yeah, he was just an absolute magnet for 
to, to youngsters wanting to get into it. Even though English wasn't his first language, he was really articulate and could instruct people really, really well. And so that's why I started sharing some very videos. Good teacher. Yeah, very good teacher. And, and very in touch with the plane and how they fly and, and just very, very knowledgeable. So I'm, I'm glad that I've got a lot of like recordings he, he's of He's actually there. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm glad you do as well. And um, I mean, what I'm just a massive loss to the world, to the flying community, you know, full scale modeling. Uh, he was an absolute hero um, in my eyes. And um, he, yeah, very sorely missed. Um, and, you know, uh, he, he taught me a lot. Um, and he was very generous with his advice and his time. I had no idea how to put a freestyle routine together. He was the only guy who kind of sat down and broke it down and made it um, made it doable. Um, and I, I still remember that very clearly. He's about breaking down a freestyle in 15 second blocks, writing down all your maneuvers, making sure you have dynamic changes. Um, you know, seeing and frankly seeing some Edo's flying, you know, absolute pre precision using um, particular sound effects and and um, offbeat kind of um, in the tracks to coordinate his maneuvers is something that I've frankly pinched heavily from. Yeah, and I think he, um, I always I always used to say that there may have been better pilots that were, you know, technically maybe better or, or had a bigger repertoire than Edo, but nobody could fly to music like Edo. To, to this day, I've not seen anybody fly and, and choreograph because Ido was a bit like you. He was a musician as well. And he, he had a great sort of sense of rhythm and melody. And, you know, he, he you know, in his spare time, he used to, like I used to joke, he used to have all these apps on his iPad, music apps, like little synthesizers and stuff. And he'd go, look, I've got this. And, he, and you know, you squiggle your hands around and it doesn't, I'm going, oh, here you go. But he played bass guitar. And, and I think he knew what music was all about. And he knew the emotion of music and how it could move people. And then he would create, a routine that he knew would entertain people that you know, I, I literally I've there's, there's only once 100%. that I've almost become emotional watching a flight and that was Edo doing a flight and you know what he would do like when we'd go to China he would he, would, he told me one day he said you've got to pick music for the crowd so he would always put a Chinese song in there and he'd go and research what was a popular song at the time Brilliant. and the crowd would go Brilliant. wild absolutely wild yeah. and nobody else even if they were a better pilot could get the crowd going like that and um no. question just on that in, in relation he's absolutely he, i mean he's just absolutely nailed that um you know taking the audience on on a on a journey um you know taking them through a range of emotion it was all about just a range of flight envelope and and working it to make music perfectly um it's it's just it, you don't need to go cra crazy hard and fast um, I mean, ab absolutely go nuts for that stuff. That's that's not really my style. I'm not not good enough to be a Jace Dulcia. Um, so you know, you've got to you've got to employ some other other techniques. And and Edo was also just hit bang on about Edo. I could talk about him all day, but you know, he was he was also genuinely original. So the fir the first time I saw him fly, uh, and he and he flew the camel. Yeah, yeah, the camel. I, like, I just, just, I mean, it's a really easy maneuver. A lot of the great maneuvers are quite easy. Yeah, it's just that when when executed well, 
They just look so amazing. Well, it, that... um, and, defy, and defy physics. I mean, who would think to put in the wrong ladder on purpose um, yeah. in Knife Edge? Um, Edo would, and it looks fucking great. Yeah, well, he... he <laughs> when it, We've talked about the camel hump kind of thing with him and, and with Jace Ducia actually in China together. And and Jace yeah. Jace tells everybody it's an Edo Sega invented the move. And I said to yeah. Edo, well, "How did you come up with the move?" He goes, "Oh well, you know, there's camels everywhere. I see a camel hump, and it's a camel hump." And I'm like, "Oh, you're just crazy." But it was even, the way even, that he even the name of it's cool. I know even the name of it's well, cool. The the way in which he would do that maneuver, like you said, it's not a hard maneuver to achieve. But the way that he could make it a really dramatic maneuver, where he would pause, the plane would sort of slide like drift, and then it would go down towards the ground and then at the last minute he'd pull it up again and then he'd do it again. Well, it's, he, the way he applied the power, it, it wasn't, there was no kind of brutality to it. It was so smooth and so purposeful in the application of, of, of power and drama. Mm. It was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was art. Well, this is, this is, which only us RC geeks will understand. Oh, yeah, of course. It, it absolutely was. Well, he, he, the I was going to tell you about something that he told me once. Oh, I can't remember now. I've lost it. But I, I want to ask you a question just about three D flying and and the importance of having a mentor. It seems to be a recurring theme that people that get into three D flying see somebody else doing it and and then suddenly fall in love with it. Here in Australia, we don't have a great three D following. I tried to develop it many years ago when I had three D Hobby Shop Australia and all that kind of stuff and the events that we ran and whatever. But how important do you think was it for you to to find someone like an Edo or a mentor to help um, foster your your uh, passion for three D flying? Oh, look, I think it's I think it's really essential. Um, you got to find someone to to buddy up with because I think, I mean, frankly. It takes a lot of effort, and you've got to you've got to have some, I think, some encouragement to get get over that that hump, that learning curve, um, particularly to particularly to you know make an attempt at you know doing well at IMAC or getting into freestyle and starting to put together a routine. Unless you've got someone kind of in your corner saying, "Yeah, do it," and here's some pointers trying to get you to do it. It's going to be really difficult um, to just do it on your own because I think I think you know you can take it so far um, watching YouTube videos. Sometimes you actually need some some pointers in person. Um, and look, I, I really found the IMAC community really awesome for this sort of stuff. I mean, when I started, you know, the brewers were flying. Um, you know, Zach Zach Brewer was an absolute you know, um, amazing pilot, and I'm uh, learned just sort of hanging around with those guys and and watching them and and picking up pointers. But yeah, Edo for sure in the freestyle world was definitely my my guy that kind of pushed me over the edge and made me commit to to wanting to do it. So it's it's getting harder and harder with with clubs dwindling. Um, you know, it's hard to find the space to to kind of team up and um encourage the the younger generation to come through look they are they are um and they usually kill it um and I look at marius um you know up and coming pilot absolutely smashing it um oh, he's found you know, cars now. Ask him. he's found cars and women <laughs> we may lose him shortly 
that's that's just that sort of ten year ditch that you go and he'll come out the other end and absolutely blast all the way. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, there are pockets. It's it, it's one of those things that there are pockets of people. There's a guy I'm going to end up having on the podcast. I'm a young guy called Brad Worm who's lives in a trucker in the country and he um he's loves that kind of flying and we, we get on the simmer a lot and we 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 end up finding each other that if we think about a lot of our, our close friends in the hobby we met them at events and they're into the same kind of thing but uh, it was interesting that even just talking about Edo again that Edo grew up in Israel in a time where there was nobody else flying 3D or freestyle aerobatics really in Israel and he it was the internet that opened up his world literally opened up his world but yeah, and he felt yeah. isolated because there was nobody else around him but the internet was starting to emerge and forums and things like that fast forward to today there's a whole freestyle flying movement in israel with some absolutely phenomenal pilots orel zohar uh, young ben cohen these guys they've actually called the imac their imac competition the imac the edo cup for the next two years that edo was this yeah, I saw that. he paved the way for these other people or these other guys to get involved and it's funny, a small country like Israel is producing phenomenal freestyle pilots and Edo was the centre of the, the motivation for them and the guy that they put on the pedestal as doing that. So f- for them now, they've got that movement moving and supporting those guys and fostering them, whereas Edo was on his own. And as time went on, of course, he got exposed to events and international events and so his, his network grew, but he was doing it in sort of isolation, which makes it even tougher. But I find in Australia that we've been, you know, we, we've both experienced this, that there's ups and downs in that 3D flying community. We've seen it at its peak, uh, you know, running events and, and getting a reasonable crowd. Yep. If I try to run the same event now, I might get eight, nine people that might turn up and that's maximum because mm. we're sort of in a little bit of a slump. But the IMAC thing has improved, especially in Victoria. We've got a great movement happening in Victoria now. What led you into IMAC scale aerobatic competition? Um, pretty simple, really. You know, when I saw that Chris Brislin freestyle and I said to myself, I really want to do that. How do I do that? Um, I did some Googling and I found out that um, there was a freestyle component to IMAC. Um and you needed to progress through the kind of bottom classes of IMAC before you could compete in freestyle. So pretty logical decision. Okay, better go and start to learn IMAC. And then uh, hooked up with the IMAC community and, and never looked back. Um, you know, Norm Fraser was someone I, I uh, met very quickly in the IMAC scene. And, um, you know, he, he's, you know, a, a really um, great mate of mine um to this day and um yeah he definitely sort of hooked me in um and that's that's been great ever since and the uh, let's just talk a bit about planes that you've been flying right so uh, there are a couple of brands that you you really i don't want to use the word fanboy but you've loved and one of those is extreme flight and you mentioned earlier so when you got back into flying and you went down that aerobatics route what plane did you did you go for oh good question so I think I taught, I bought two planes in very quick succession when I got back into it. Uh, I bought um, I bought a little profile thing, like a profile built-up Volsa 3D plane because I knew I wanted to get into 3D. I knew I couldn't practice that on a um, 
on a on a large appliance. So I bought a just a cheapy balsa thing. I actually I ended up buying a Precision Aerobatics. Remember PA? Yeah, yeah, I had Precision one. Precision Aerobatics. Yeah. I think it was an MX. Um, was the first plane I I bought. Um, and um, yeah, um, I ended up then progressing straight after that to um, I think a fifty or sixty cc extreme flight extra. Um, but yeah, and I also had a P, I had a Precision Aerobatics um, Addiction X as well for learning kind of three D stuff. So I went from kind of that really light Precision Aerobatics stuff, which I loved and it was great for learning three D because it was very forgiving and floaty. But as soon as I flew a an extreme flight with a bit more inertia and you could snap roll and do more, um, you could do some precision stuff as well. I really fell in love with it and I kind of haven't looked back. I think I've owned, you know, six or seven of them. In fact, I still own them. Um, well, I just, uh, I just keep going back for more. Well, I, I, the listeners can't see what I can see because you've still got your camera on, but the, uh, you've got some airplanes behind you. So, what what does your hangar look like at the moment, as far as models? Yeah, so I, I guess I'm someone to kind of have a, a few planes I love and just fly the hell out of them um, for as long as possible. And I'm trying to keep keep it minimal because I'm doing very little flying at the moment. So I try and, I'm trying to be very selective in what I fly, um, so that when I do go out, I, I get some consistency. So if for park flying, my go-to is a, a, a 60-inch extra, 300. Um, I've had that plane for years, probably done over a 1,000 flights on it. It still looks brand new. It's just an amazing machine. Um, so that's my park flyer. Um, I've got um, an 88-inch-ish, an, uh, um, slightly smaller than that, MXS. Um, in electric 12 cell, I've got um, a 105 inch slick on a one on a DA120, which is my uh, competition freestyle plane. Um, I've got a three meter extra 260 compar, which is also a, a freestyle plane because I love my freestyle planes. I probably use that for more special occasions these days. Um, I won't I won't fly that every single round. Um, and then I've got a Hangar 9 Sukhoi as well, which I've got set up purely for iMac. And that's kind of my, that's kind of my hangar um, for, for now. I've got a, I've got a 104 um, inch extra as well that's sort of packed away as, and a 60 inch edge. But yeah, that, that's kind of it. So a lot of extreme flight and a pump arm and a, and a Hangar 9. Well, I'm a big fan of that, like what you've just said, that, Sometimes we get carried away with buying more and more aeroplanes, especially when you fly aerobatics. And as you said, you need to really be one with the airframe and understand how it performs. And if you're constantly buying another plane, you just never can get enough flights on the plane to really gel with it. And the other thing I'll say, Google, is that for us, we love the flying. We like to get to the field and not have to worry about the aeroplane, just fly, fly. We do spend a bit of time in making sure that we set the plane up properly. The more planes you yep. have, the more time you've got to spend in maintaining them, setting them up and whatever, which detracts from the flying. So most of our focus is on the flying. And 
I'm a big fan of the Aerobatics guys. It might have a handful of planes and that's it. I hate having, I, I don't have that many aeroplanes, but I think I've still got too many. Because when I have to sit there and go, well, which plane will I take to the field this time? I know that I've got too many. That uh, There's a good mate of mine, Dave Shearer, who you've met. 3D Dave, yep. as we call him. And Dave is, I always look up to Dave. He has a 60-inch uh, model. He has a foamy, profile foamy, and he has a 60cc yep. uh, edge. And that's it. It's all he yep. needs. So when Dave has to make the decision what to take, it's a really, it's not a complex decision and he can just focus and he knows how to fly those planes really, really well. And I keep on saying to me, a lot of people say to me, oh, I really want to get good at aerobatics. I said, okay, do you know what it takes? Do you know how much focus? Now, I'm going to ask that question. How much time? I've seen you fly. And so you're, you've progressed in IMAC to be at the unlimited level, the top level, haven't you? I have, yep. Yeah. And then when it comes to freestyle at IMAC comps, you've won national champs haven't you yeah one one national champs twice i think um not not in the not in the last few years to be honest well you haven't been flying that much you've been too busy haven't been flying enough but you've you've won it now how much time did you put in to get to a proficient level of 3d flying and when i mean proficient level there's a lot of people out there that could be listening and think that 3d flying is slapping sticks in the corners which is the furthest thing from the truth if you see a person at the flying club doing that they're actually not flying 3D. They're actually just a mess. So we don't aspire to be like that because we like to be in control. And you're a very, very controlled pilot and precise flyer. How much time have you put into it? Um, so when I first when I first got stuck back in, so that point in time where I went, yep, I, I flew t- circuits 10 years ago. I now want to get back to this hobby and I want to learn 3D and freestyle properly. I put in a truckload of time in the first two years. Um, I think, I think I, on, in, during the first year, I probably spent two, two hours a day on the sim. Um, and I would actually, I, I did it in a very logical way. So I broke down all the manoeuvres I wanted to learn. Um, and then I made sure that I learnt everything in both directions and just focus for a whole year. Um, and I think I was kind of doing a bit of 3D stuff within um, within a few months um, just because I was really focused on it. So it was probably two years, you know, really focused flying to get to a point where I could actually start doing a freestyle routine um, and to start sort of um, doing a bit of IMAC flying as well. Um, and then probably four years to get, probably four years to get, you know, to a, a bit of a bit of a peak where I was actually, you know, half, half okay at, at a freestyle routine and able to put a, a sequence together. Um, to be honest, my entire flying career, <laughs> calling it a career sounds funny, I estimate that I've probably spent 95 to 98% of that on a sim two to five percent actually flying a real plane um, and that's that's just a function of how difficult it is for me to get to a club and fly a real plane and being time poor etc um, but that's it's worked for me I spend a shitload of time actually making sure I set up a sim to mirror you know that one plane or those two planes that I owned so that I could actually genuinely practice on a sim and that it was pretty close. And then when I got to the field, I would systematically kind of 
fly a routine and, and check you know, how fast it was to the sim and, and readjust um, and kind of cement things. And that's kind of been my model, um, you know, going really hard on the sim, going out and then trying it for real um, and kind of rinse and repeat. Um, but yeah, four years of really hard dedication. To be honest, I've still got a really long way to go. Um, you know, in terms of, yes, I mean, unlimited in iMac, but I'm nowhere near, you know, where the top guys are at. Um, I don't, I, I literally don't have enough hours in the week um, to go and, you know, dedicate the, the practice required to, to get to the top. Um, I guess freestyle is something that's always sort of gelled naturally with me. Um, maybe, you know, my musical background um, and probably a function of, where I spend the most time in the sim as well um, in terms of putting a sequence together. So, um, but yeah, definitely, I, 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 you know, I'm still a learner, to be honest, in my own head. Um, still a long way to go and I'm looking forward to uh, doing it for many years. Well, I think that, uh, of course, I've seen you fly and I categorise your flying as precise, um, extremely proficient, um, confident you know you don't seem out of control any step and um you know we've done some indoor flying together when you lived down in melbourne for a while which was like we had so much fun flying indoor it was uh i, I love indoor indoor is actually one of my favorite formats well uh, i've got to tell everybody this story so tim got posted down uh to melbourne for work and we we would catch up like once a month at an indoor flying venue. A guy had organised an indoor night, and we'd all you know all the three days would turn up. And then Tim was coming to town, and we said you got to come out. Tim turns up, and just his sheer presence changed the whole vibe. So one, you'd bring the ghetto blaster, right? You would play music. Nobody thought of doing that. And as soon as that music would go on. People were transformed, and I've got this image burnt, etched into my brain of we had the music going, and you went and grabbed you know those those little um, retractable straps that people create cues with that you see at the airport. You grabbed one of those and started a limbo comp, but the limbo comp was everyone doing loops and trying to get <laughs> under this thing. I think I may even have a video of 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 it somewhere. And everyone's trying to do loops. And people totally, the, the crew there, and they were a good bunch of guys and mates of ours, they went crazy. It was like, forget about the the, the, the you know the airplane coming home in one piece. It was now the challenge was on. <laughs> and it was so good that when Tim eventually went back to Sydney, the whole indoor thing pretty much died. It was almost like we were, we were depressed because little Timmy had gone and he'd taken his ghetto blaster with him and the vibe had gone, but it was so good. People just wanted to be there because we were all having so much fun kind of thing. And you just brought that extra, that added dimension. And, and as you said, you've loved indoor flying. And it, it, you know, again, it, it is, you can see that the, the great three Ds do love indoor flying as well. And grabbing that profile foamy, which is another experience in itself. You even built your own indoor plane, didn't you? Yeah, I did with um with my mate from Italy, Ilya. Um, that that was that was a lot of fun actually as well. I, I learned a lot from him. Um, yeah, what a blast that was. But um, I yeah, look, that was a really fun time for me as well in Melbourne, by the way. Um, and that I mean that's the kind of energy that that exists at IMAC comps. And um, 
And that's that's what we do at night. So, um, and to be honest, silly, like if I get all par with a sixty-inch extra on my own, I take that ghetto blaster and I pump those tunes. And yeah, absolutely. I I I pretty much always fly to music because it's uh, my preferred format. Well, do you know what's interesting? I did for the first time this year. My mate Brad Worm, the youngster, the worm person, as my son calls him. he said, oh, I'm thinking about doing freestyle as part of iMac. I said, do it. You know, just, it's good practice for you. You know, if you, and he goes, that's what I really love. I'm really only doing iMac so that I can get a bit more precise, but it's really freestyle that I love. And so he said, can you help me with some music? So I put together, you know, some music, you know, because I, I told him what Edo told me. you got to pick music that, you know, that, you know, the judges will like. And he's a, you know, a 15-year-old kid. And he's going, well, what do old people like? So he comes to me. And says, "What are you people like?" And I said, "Well, you need a combination." So, I well, put, you are you are the guy to ask. Well, you know, I'm pretty much the legend as For you that know. genre. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I put, but relax. I'm 47. I'm a young 47, even though I feel about 55 at the moment. But I, <laughs> I put this music routine together for him. And he went, uh, "I don't know. I don't know. I really like all those songs." I said, "Well, I told you. You know, it's not about you. It's about." me but anyway but i grabbed that music and i always in my mind i always you told me once that you would always when you're on the sim you'd play you'd fly to music and so i thought okay if he doesn't if the wormster doesn't want the routine the music i'll play it so i started listening to music whilst flying on the sim and i loved it it just because now there was this other challenge of trying to you know roll in time with the beat and um and I did. I, I had a varied sort of music selection where I'd have a fast-paced song and a slow-paced song. So there were different elements to the four minutes, and I really, yeah. really enjoyed it. And as I said, it was always. Oh, Tim, I remember Tim told me he's always flying to music, but I can imagine you for two hours a day. Back in the day when you were really wanting to get good, how could you do it for two hours a day? Uh well, first of all, I had more time on my hands, obviously, yeah. and I'm a massive night owl, so I struggle to go to sleep before kind of midnight, 1 a.m., so, you know, I do it whenever everyone's in bed, um, Rockstar. and I'm restless. Rockstar hours. <laughs> I'm similar. I have trouble going to bed, and I actually I had a lot of trouble, in the, you know, last year in just sleeping and getting a good night's sleep, and I worked out that I was still awake, so I actually go to bed later than I ever have. and I'm. But when I go to bed, I fall asleep really, really quickly, whereas before I'd roll around with my head full of thoughts and model aeroplanes and all the other hobbies that I'm interested in and thinking about random yeah. rubbish. But no, yeah. we'll see. I'm the same. I'm the same. And that, I, th- I think the it, it is, there's a lot of people sitting there say, oh, this seems not like the real thing. Well, as the great man Edo Sega said, well, your brain doesn't know. Your brain knows a stick movement and it knows that when you push the stick that way, the plane moves that way. And he says it's all about the neural pathways and developing the neural pathways. And and that happens through repetition. And the only way that we can realistically repeat things is on the simulator. And I've told this story numerous times. Yeah. You hear these stories about people who go to a flying club to learn how to fly and they've never touched the sticks before. And a year later, they're allowed to land the plane. My situation was simulator before I even flew the real thing. And first flight took off and landed twice. My mate Dave Shearer, he 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 was my instructor, and he said, "What what's your flying like?" I said, "I don't know. I've never done it. I only done it on the sim. But I think I, I think I'd be okay with orientation control and whatever." So he grabs the transmitter, wow. gives it to me, and says, "Go." And I start flying, and I'm flying circuits, 
And then I bring it in. I say, he said, I'll oh, do an approach. I come in and he said, I will land it. And I land it right down the middle of the runway. And he said, take off. It was an electric, little electric plane. I took <laughs> off again, went around, kept on going. He said, oh, you better land now. Landed it again. First flight. And I got my went went I got my my bronze wings in the day back then you know, before they had the silver wings thing, and yeah. I got it in like record time. And they were, the 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 oldest at the club were worried that I got it too quickly and that I really wasn't really ready for it. And I was like, buddy, I've been practicing the simulator for like four years. Whilst my son, you know, he's a baby, and I was doing other things and whatever. I'd just get on the yeah. sim. Yeah, I know how to I know how to control Amazing. the plane. Amazing. And that's it's I've, a simulator. I've not, I've not heard anyone say that they've made the plane. For real, just having climbed the sim. Well, you that's, know that I'm incredible. special. You know that I'm special. Do you know that Ido Segev, when he won the European Extreme Flying Championships in 2011, he told me that 80 percent of his practice was on the simulator because he didn't have time to go to the field. And I use that to people that sit there and say, yeah, "Oh, they're not, not they're not like the real thing." Nah, really. Of course, it's not like the real thing, but it's it's a tool. I'll give you an example. My brother, I, I have flown, I have flown a full freestyle routine. Before at a, at, in competition, having never flown it in real life, yeah, on many occasions. But it's not the same, though. Apparently, it's not the same. It actually translates <laughs> um, poorly. It you you learn to you actually learn after a while to break something. If you're only going to be able to practice in a sim, you have to actually break it down a bit more than you would otherwise to make sure that you've got time to kind of link back in and join sections together. Yeah, I think that with um, the sim, I think that the value of the sim is training the brain the stick movements. That, like for example, I've, yeah. I've got I remade and after a bit of a bit of damage I did to a plane, collected a wire fence on on approach to landing, and I remade in that plane um, recently. And I thought, you know what, it's a pattern plane. Why don't I just go and learn a pattern routine, the sportsman routine, whatever? It doesn't matter. Get the easiest routine and learn yeah. how to fly it, so that when I go to the field. There's a purpose to fly that plane, not just scoot around the sky and just go, oh, I'll practice rolls or something. Let me try to fly that. And so what I do is I go to the simulator to get the stick movements down. Okay, this is what I need to do. I need to do this this stall turn, but I need to do a half roll here and come down to another half roll here and exit and blah, blah, blah. Once I've got that down, Pat, the thing that I'm looking for at the field is, which you can't get in a sim, is airspace management. That I know how I know the stick movements, but I've got to manage my height, my speed, my distance away from me. I've got to position that yeah. that that uh, that um, maneuver in the right airspace. That's where I think 100%. the real life thing 100%. comes into it. Oh, so that's that's where together um, together in a sim is really tricky because you might try it and nail it in a sim, but when you don't try it for real, the sky is really big, and all of a sudden you're just in the wrong part of the sky, and you've got to rejig the whole thing and if you've got to literally go home redesign the sequence redesign the music repractice it on the sim and then go back into the field and try it again it can be really limiting in terms of actually being able to practice it um and then you end up start, starting to compensate by doing crazy stuff like full throttle in places where you might not want to be full throttle because mm. you've got to make it from point a to point b um yeah so yeah, definitely, definitely one of the hard parts of freestyle, and um, yeah, but you know, it makes it a fun challenge. Well, it was interesting you say that because when I was in China last year, I was talking to a guy by the name of Fergus, who Fergus, his family owned GP Motors, Great Power Motors in Taiwan, 
who are, they're doing some good things. I've it, heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he left he left the business at that point to try to pursue other things. He said to me, Andrew, there's no money in any of this. He said, we work for t- for eight years and we can afford a second-hand Mercedes. But Mr. King Tet Turbine, man, he can get a new one. He said, there's no money in this. So he sort of thought, oh, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm going to try to make some money elsewhere. But he's a lovely, really outgoing kind of guy. And I was talking to him about, he was doing some, um, uh, he was a really good freestyle pilot. Really, really good. He'd actually competed, at, I think, the the Extreme Flying Championships in Europe. And, you know, Edo knew him and, you know, from the flying scene, but he was a really competent pilot and he was doing a lot of testing with Pilot RC and he was flying the 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 104 Slick that they've just uh, released and it was a prototype. Yeah. And his comment, I said, yeah, great. yeah, and I said to him, what what do you think of the plane? And he said, oh, I love it. But mind you, he had two tanks in the plane so he could fly for half an hour. <laughs> like, that's what he was the kind of guy he was. He, I saw him do a flight and it went if it was only... I you were going to say Snoke. No, 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 no. no. He was doing a practice flight. The, the day before the competition, he was doing a practice, practice flight and I'm thinking, gee, Fergus has been up in the air for ages. He was 15 minutes into flying and he was still going flat knacker and really throwing this thing around and precise and... Anyway, I said to him, what do you like about this airframe? He goes, I said, what do you think about the airframe? He says, I love it. I said, one of the things it allows me to do is if I'm if I'm ahead, if I'm ahead of myself and, and the music, I can back off. So for example, he said, I'd come in in knife edge, right? And you, you actually could hear it. He would back off the engine to to to, to drop a second behind because he was he thought he was ahead of the music where he needed to be he could back off the yeah. throttle this plane would not veer wouldn't dip it would just keep on using its momentum for that that short little dip in, in knife edge and i'm talking about doing a knife edge pass and he's like a meter and a half off the deck all right you'd hear him coming and go yeah. and get back on the power and he was putting that pause in to just get back on time and he said that is one of the biggest challenges with freestyle is being able to catch up subtly without the plane doing something that was weird whilst you were trying to catch up or fall behind. Now, if yep. you if you're like a whole yep. bar behind the, the music, pilot doing something weird as well, like panicking and <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he um yeah he'd done a lot of flying and in and and you can see, but um. But yeah, that 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 timing to the music is something. And I think a lot of people that that get into freestyle, especially here in Australia, they may have been into three D. But they they the bit that they miss out on is that the freestyle is a is a performance. I always I love four minute freestyles to music because to me it's like going to a music concert. That you know it's it's not just producing maneuvers. It's putting on a show. And moving people in some kind of way, whether that be to tears, to joy, and everything in between, and which is what music is supposed to do. But when you get it right, it is so good. But here in Australia, I find that the guys that get into it, they don't have that musical nous, and they approach it like, I know a bunch of manoeuvres, how can I string those manoeuvres together, rather than how can I create something that's going to be really visually appealing? And as you said, it's not necessarily about being the most technically competent it's about putting on a performance that's the difference between your approach i think than a lot of other people just my my opinion on the matter that your approach has always been about i'm putting on a performance i've got to pick the light and shade in my music i've got to fly to that light and shade 
and move people in some kind of way rather than just I'll slap some music together and I'll just go out there and just scoot around the sky and do some aerobatics. Does that sound about right? Oh, look, um, look it, just, it just depends. Um, a lot of people will fly um, a freestyle routine um, just to challenge themselves and, and not necessarily fly a set a, a predetermined sequence to music. Um, so it's, it's actually, I think, reasonably rare for pilots to go up and um, put a put a you know forced four minute freestyle together which is actually you know, a set of predetermined maneuvers to a predetermined sequence of um, of tracks back to back um, it's and that's probably because it's just really damn hard to do it um, and there aren't enough pilots I don't think in Australia to kind of have that critical mass so that everyone's encouraged to have a crack at doing the, the, the proper format of the freestyle. Um, that's, and that's absolutely not to diminish anyone who goes out there and throws down for four minutes because I respect that every day of the week um, because it's a lot of pressure, frankly, to go out and, and do a you know, solo four-minute flight doing some... You know, everyone wants low and fast and, and crazy and smack down kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty high pressure. So to... Yeah, you see a whole variety of, of flying styles. Yeah, everyone from just pick a random track and throw down, which is awesome, through to you know on the on the more kind of uh, pre-planned kind of end of the scale, you know, and you know, frankly, to achieve something like a an Edosigev or Gurno level is something that's pretty rare in Australia. Um, there are a few pilots that can do it, but um, you know, if you rock up to a competition and you've got a a few pilots trying to fly that sort of style of freestyle and you know, having it judged seriously as part of IMAC competition, that's definitely not the norm. Um, it's the exception. And I'd like to see, I'd actually like to see freestyle more seriously kind of incorporated into competition to encourage, encourage um, doing it, doing it properly judged, you know, to the same level of professionalism as the rest of IMAC um, to encourage, encourage the effort going into it because um, it is a lot of effort to get to get to that um, that stage. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting to see what they've done in China um, where they haven't really embraced IMAC. They've more embraced freestyle aerobatics, and that's why they run the China Top Show event. And they have pattern yep. flying. If you want to fly precision, go and fly F3A. Yep. If you want to fly uh, you know, scale aerobatics, well, you're going to be flying freestyle. And that's why in their competitions they have – a four-minute freestyle as a component for everybody in 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 two different categories, and more advanced than a more junior junior level. And and having judged those those events a number of times now, you see you see the progression from year to year between the pilots. And it's an event like that 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 encourages them to keep on their journey. Because as you said, it took you you said four years to get to a point where you thought that you're reasonably proficient. Uh, and these guys are, are really pushing each other and and it's that event that keeps on motivating it's the only event they've got in china but they'll get way more like they'll have 25 30 guys turn up to the event and they'll just fly yeah. the wheel pants off the planes and and young yeah. guy there's a 12 year old kid that was doing these rolling maneuvers and ito i remember ito's judging with me and he said i can't even do that like and i've been flying for years this kid is just they were precise. They were, he was doing rifle rolls in every direction, in every speed, in every orientation. And we're like, oh my god, these guys are just. And it's because they've developed that culture around freestyle flying, which, like I yeah. said, I think yeah. you know, if anything, 
Now, our mate Chris Rudder, Rutnut, who I'm trying to get onto the podcast, but I think he's drunk most oh, of the yeah. time. He, he, Rutnut always always flies freestyle. Yeah, he loves it. Um, and, he, and, and maximum respect for doing so. I mean, he always throws down hard. Well, he, he's been, he says, oh, I'm going to shoot a video and I'm going to send it to you. And I've gone, Rutnut, you've been threatening for me for about six years that you're going to produce a video and you never do. I said, I have you on video. You're one step away from a crash. No, I'm better now. But he, um, I'm going to get him on. But he's, he's like vice president of the Scale Aeros mob now. So we've got to get in his ear and say, come on. Well, you know what? Bring the freestyle you know in. Um, it's, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's, my, it's my fault. It's my responsibility to be, you know, trying to build profile in, in freestyle um, as, as part of the sport, a legitimate part of the sport, you know. Um, I should be taking the time to impart, you know, words of wisdom that I got from Ido Sigev to those coming through the ranks. Um, and it's not that hard, you know, helping helping people put music together. Um, and so uh, maybe I'll be inspired by this silly to actually go and do oh, something about it. I've just got an idea, right? I'll share it with you. Don't tell anybody, right? <laughs> you and me will organise some sort of get together at some sort of location that is central to everybody everyone's going to have to drive a distance like the old yep. 3d hobbit shot fly low in events but we treat it as like a, a freestyle kind of training session where we'll get you up with a microphone and, and we'll break it down we'll talk about um uh editing selecting music editing music and whatever see that's what i was going to tell you so park that idea we'll have to work out how we can Let's do it just make I mean, it happen um but there was something else that they did sure it's january <laughs> yeah, I know. It could be a bit hard in January. The um, we'll wait till the COVID situation freezes up and we're allowed to you know run things like that. But in China, it was interesting. The last in 2019, when I went, there was uh, Sasha Ciccone from Italy and Martin Brandmiller from Austria, two unbelievable pilots and freestyle guns and freestyle to music is their thing, and you know XFC champs and all that kind of thing. Um. They they gave these two guys a challenge. They were there to judge and to do demo flights and really mentor people. So this is what China's doing: is they're mentoring. You know, they're they're bringing in the talent to mentor their locals so that they can improve. So what um uh, the, the our good friend Frank Liu did, he went to Martin and to Sasha and said, "I'm going to give you a four minute four minute music, right? Just the music. I'm yeah. going to give the same music to both of you. You have two hours." to develop a routine but you're not allowed to go out and fly it you can use a stick plane you know in your hand awesome. and you can work it out awesome. these guys went that is cool because what they were really interested to see is That's how so cool i know and it was what was really interesting to see how they um translated the the the, the music to, to to flight and they were really intrigued to see whether they would do the similar things at the same time because of the music and I was sitting there, and I didn't know until about an hour into they were given the music because I was walking around with stick planes and listening to things on their phone and <laughs> the music, and they're trying to work out. And then it came time, and they said, okay, now it's time for you to do the performance. And again, exactly the same music, and they, I don't know, they drew straws or something to work out who would go first. Yeah. And yeah. they were buzzing after it. They, you know, of course, they ran up to each other, you stole my, you stole my idea. You know, the second guy <laughs> could steal from the first guy. But that was such a great – it was – it was great for the crowd to see what would happen. And even doing something like that where everybody could give them the same it's, music and we'll see how they interpret it's really it. really hard. It's really yeah, hard, I, by the way. I don't know how it, they did it. But a, a really good idea. But it, there's nothing like this. I actually think sometimes with freestyle, you need 
that extra pressure to just get it done and make calls on things. Mm. Most of the freestyle routines have been slapped together in the week before some comp. Yeah. Um, where you just no more, no more kind of just randomly stashing song, songs away in a Spotify playlist. Yeah. You got actually got to commit and put it down and edit it and and go and fly it. Yeah. So and to it, do it to, to do it in that sort of time scale is is awesome. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. Well, Edo Edo because he wasn't flying a lot in his uh, last few years of his life, we'd go to China. He'd prepare a new routine, at least one new demo routine for for China, and he'd turn up and he he hadn't flown all year, and he'd just practice it on the sim, and uh, he'd just yeah. go out there and nail it every single time. And he was so nervous the last time; he was just so nervous. Thought, oh, and Jace Deuce was there, and he's like, oh, Jay, I'm gonna look it's gonna look bad. And I'm gonna eat it. You are still miles ahead of 99% of the people that are at this flying field now, yeah. and nobody's gonna know the difference. And they love you, like out of anybody that was at that field. Even Jace loves Edo. Jace is, you know, was had Edo on a pedestal from an from eight years of age, right? And and he was in awesome. awe of being in the same place as Edo, and Edo's looking at him going, "Oh, but he's just a gun." Oh. And of course, they were looking at me as being, you know, "What's this guy doing here?" But anyway, now. <laughs> no. Well, no, I had a lot. But I said, as Edo and I used to always say to each other, our role in going to China was to make everybody feel good and to be happy. And we had the best time doing it. It wasn't pretend and put on. It was, that was our role. Anything they want us to do, we do it. You want us, you know, Edo, just go and fly the routine. Even in our, actually, in the last trip, in, which is in the movie that I, I produced, Life on High Rates, flat out RC YouTube channel, subscribe to it now if you haven't. There's a, I, Edo was so nervous. I said, okay, let's have fun with it. Like you haven't been flying. And I gave him a bit of a pep talk as a, as a dad would and said, it's your fault. You didn't do it. So bad luck. You've got to suffer the consequences, right? You didn't go out and practice. So I said, what we'll do though is we'll ease the pressure. These guys, Martin and Jace are just going to put on a great show. They're, you know, practicing all the time and, and they're, they're, they're up to date. You're feeling a bit rusty. I'll ease the pressure. Let's pretend that I'm flying the routine I'll get a transmitter in my hand. You stand behind me and we'll just fake it as if I'm flying. And I knew his music. It was like some disco song started off. Yeah, well, it was like some... And mind you, he bought an Afro wig. And so I had the Afro wig on and this disco music starts and we'd agreed at a certain time I would start moving just one leg and dancing, right? And then the other leg, and then a hand would come off. And then the next minute, I'm just running up and down the crowd. And by that stage, they worked out Edo was flying. So I had his wig on. And that just took the tension away from him flying. And he nailed it anyway. It was like, this guy's is phenomenal. And, and I made a fool of myself once again. But the crowd loved it. We've got photos of it. And I look at those photos and go, what was I thinking i've seen the photo I, rem- I remember i went up to there was another great guy from sweden um ole ole loveberg the love bug who's been on the podcast and i said to him i need to borrow your transmitter and he's like why i just need to borrow it i just need to have it in my hand if you drop my transmitter i am going to miss i said ole i'm just going to hold it. i'm not going to drop your transmitter anyway he was not happy about me having his transmitter he gave back to him in one piece and he, he came second or third at the comp so you know i said look i've touched it now you're probably going to win now so look and calm down calm down it's okay. all part of the fun yeah that's right that's right and, and that, look that's the thing i think um when you fly competitively sometimes some people can take it too seriously and it just it doesn't become enjoyable. And you've always been one to just have fun. You know, I've been told, I haven't been in an IMAC competition with you, but I've been told that 
when you're not actually in the air doing your your sequence, you're flying something else mucking around. Is that true? Absolutely. So if I go when I go to an INAC comp, I mean I don't get out much, right? So when I do go go to an INAC comp, I literally don't put a transmitter down. So I'll be flying IMAC during the day, freestyle during the lunch break, and then basically continuing I'll fly quads early evening or electrics and then I'll basically fly foamies all night under torch light or worse. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's how I get my fix. Um, and to some extent, all of that kind of, it, it all adds up actually. They're flying foamies and doing crazy stuff through like crazy, like structures at night under torch light, yeah. et cetera. It actually all helps yeah. um, with, you know, um, flying confidence, uh, even with sort of IMAX stuff. You know, doing kind of stupid loops and all, you know, harry a roll through, you know, tent poles or whatever. It all it all helps to kind of You've... connect the stuff back together for me because I don't get out very much and fly the real stuff. Um, so I feel like I've just got to get as many hours under my belt as I, as I can when I've got the opportunity. Well, that is a recurring theme. I've seen some of your videos and you do like, you know, like you did at indoor, you like a bit of structure to fly around. You're not afraid to get the foam out. And, and you mentioned the, the drone thing. Now, I want to just talk a bit about your FP, FPV drone flying because, yeah. you know, I've got this, there's, there's a few people in the world that when they talk to me, I trust everything that they're saying. And I know that what the advice that they're giving me is 100% correct. And I don't want to pump up your tires because, you know, your head might explode, but you actually fit in that category for me. Like if I ask you... Oh, that's, that's a worry. No, it's true. <laughs> if I ask you, say, about an FPV drone and you tell me about it and you give me your advice, I 100% trust it. Like I, yeah. if I can had I, to ask can you... I, can I just say though, silly? Can I just say? What? Advice that I give you three years ago doesn't still hold. No, I'm just saying that when you do give me advice at that particular point in time, I 100% believe that advice. Oh, and thanks. That's very generous. So, for, for example, we were just off air, we were talking about some of the FPV drones. You were showing me them and, and you were talking about your DJI system. And I was saying, what's it like? And you were telling me, oh, it's just phenomenal. It changes the whole you know feeling of the flight. And, and I said, yeah. what about the latency? And you said, you won't notice it. Now, you won't notice it. 100%, I'm not going to sit there and go, but I might. I go... Yeah, if Tim said I won't notice it, I'm not going to notice it. It's just because you know why? I've watched you in the hobby and what you've done and how you fly. And I know here is a person that's really thought about things and has done the research and has come out the other end with the knowledge. And it's just the kind of person that you are. You know, you're a smart guy and you're methodical in how you do things. And I know that you don't make a lot of mistakes when it comes to choosing an airframe, for example, or a motor or a servo or a transmitter or whatever, you're not making those kind of mistakes. We're not seeing you have failures in equipment because you're making good choices. So that's, I suppose, I don't want to pump your tires up anymore, but FP... Oh, yes, stop. Stop. I oh, know. You're such a legend, Tim. I wish I was... I'm going to change my name to Andrew McDonald. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, um, the FPV drone oh, yeah, thing... Look, I, 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 I like the detail, though, silly. I mean, that's... that's I like researching and, and getting down into the into the weeds of you know um my, my drones i ended up being a 
real a, a real black hole in terms of time spent to to get over that kind of learning curve. Um, and um, it was it was totally worth it. Um, I, I got a lot out of it. And um, yeah, I'm happy with the gear I'm using, and it's become just part of my staple now. Um, FPV drone flying. Um, it's and it feels as safe as going for a drive around the block now. Um, doing kind of cinematic, fast, low FPV stuff feels super low risk and reliable um, in terms of like the gear that is. Yeah. Um, I take a similar approach to my planes in terms of you know, meticulous choice of components and build. And I've never had any, I've never touched wood, never had a mechanical failure apart from, you know, a couple of servos, arms popping from, you know, freestyle routines that I've always landed and uh, never, never, never kind of, I've never lost a big plane, um, put it that way. See, that's, that's interesting that I, I experienced that when I was selling 3D Hobby Shop airframes. And people said, oh, you're going to have spare parts. I said, yeah, I'll have some spare parts, mainly things like landing gear, wheel pants, a few cows, maybe a few canopies, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because anything beyond that means you've done some pretty significant damage and most of us will just throw the airframe around the, uh, out and, and buy another one and get a new one. And the, the reality was that I wasn't selling a lot of spare parts, that people weren't damaging these big planes, that I think they flew them respectfully, but also if they did the fit out right and put good gear in it, these things are reliable flight after flight, year after year. And there was no, they, they weren't putting themselves in a situation where they were going to damage that airframe. Okay, they bought a good airframe that flew well. You buy an extreme flight plane, you know it's going to fly well. As long as you put reasonable gear in it, you're going to be pretty okay. And you and I... But that's doing too silly, I guess. Yeah, but the thing is... And, 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 there's, and there's a bit of luck involved as well. Yeah, sure. but oh, look, luck... I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, luck can, can play a part, but it's a very, very tiny part that you're, you're selecting airframes that you know that fly well. You're selecting gear that you know has been proven to work. So straight away, you've got a stable platform to work with that you're confident that it's going to be reliable. Like the, the worst thing to have is, you know, an airplane that you own that you don't know what's going to happen next time you fly. When you buy a decent airframe and kit it out with good gear, you know that that's one thing that's off the table straight away. But, yeah. and then you're doing that practice on the sim. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts about that expectation of yourself and how you fly, that you live up to that, that you don't, you want to, you want the aircraft to look a certain way in the air and you don't compromise that. And part of that is that you don't, not going to crash the plane, you know, that you will practice on the simulator to become competent enough so that when you're doing the real thing at the flying field, Everything is going to be fine. And that is why all your planes yep. are still in one piece. You're an absolute legend, Tim McDonald. And you could teach a lot of we're gonna we need to come up with a fancy name for our, our, our clinic that we're gonna run for freestylers. Or maybe I'm just too conservative. I mean I would never fly my real stuff like I'd, I'd fly the sim. Um I've I've just set some rules for myself over the years as to the degree of confidence required before trying in real life. Um, and I'm always flying more conservative than I know I'm capable of doing in the sim. So I, know, I know exactly what the plane's going to do with every stick input. Um, and that's and that's something I got from, I keep bringing him up, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of been innate, but Edo as well kind of um, reinforced that for me as well. Um, that that kind of always flying well within your ability and, and knowing exactly, exactly what your gear is going to do. 
It also helps. I don't. It also helps, frankly, silly that I don't. I don't fly my real stuff that often, so we've got less probability of stacking my gear. Um, more sim time, I guess. So um, what you're telling me is that if you really want to be a, an absolute guru at freestyle flying and aerobatics, don't become a commercial lawyer. Which I'm not. Well, it, it's it's <laughs> being becoming a lawyer is is that's the worst thing for your flying. You know, you, well, look, do you know what? It's a phase. You've got two young girls. Uh, you you've got a, a great job that that you know is demanding. But there will come a time when things will change. But uh, I hate to tell you, Tim, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So get on the sim. <laughs> well, well, you you just told me you got two months holiday. Lucky you. No excuse. You got to get at least get a few flights out there. But oh, I, well. it, oh, well. When you got into the FPV drone thing, I suppose it was a bit like starting again in a, in a, in, a, in a, another era modeling journey. What got you into the FPV drones? What got me into it? Uh, it was just something that I saw. Uh, again, it was just a, it was probably a YouTube video. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but um, Sharpu is his name. Yes. Um, and he was posting his, he's from like Argentina or something like that. Um, anyway, he was posting these crazy FPV quad videos flying through abandoned buildings. And as soon as I saw this, one of these videos, I was like, oh, that looks ridiculous. I need to try that. Um, and so I, I bought, I bought a secondhand quad from a mate. Uh, Luke Broderick um, in Wagga and um, this is about this is actually the same time I moved to Melbourne and so I started my FPV quad uh, journey when I moved to Melbourne and there was a massive FPV scene there yes that's and it right. was awesome so I, I think one of the first things I, the first two things I showed up to were a go-kart track I think yep. some of my first flights, apart from some initial flights in a park, figuring out the gear, was a go-kart track, closely followed by a, an abandoned warehouse in Melbourne. Um, and then I started racing. Like it was, the scene was just amazing. It was, it was all these like back then it young was... guys. And, it... Uh, and, and look, Thomas Bitmata, mm. who um, was this little kid, he was just slaying it when I um, turned up to these events. He's ended up being world champion multiple times over. Yeah. Like he's just a, he's you know, the, literally the best in the world. Yeah. It was interesting at that time. It was that it was almost still the infancy of FPV drone racing, really, where they hadn't, they were, they were, connect, they were all connected via, say, Facebook, and they would organize these events off Facebook, like a group or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And what ended up happening, and you were there at that time, and I went to the, go, the indoor go kart track with you one day, and, yeah. um, uh, one night when you were racing there and it looked like Star Wars, you know, the LEDs on the back of the, the, the drones. And yeah, yeah. What happened after that is that because there were so many people involved, it became, they sort of had to get to, a, got to a point where they had to formalize their, their activities. And that's when they started forming clubs. And, you know, and that then, a lot of the, the, the guys joined the, the couple of clubs that were around um, because they just wanted to keep on flying and racing. And so it became a bit more formal, whereas in that era, that was like the buzz was alive. It was the infancy of it. 
and there was everybody in one place. Now it's not as much like that anymore. There, there is still some a core group of guys, but I think there's a lot of people that moved away from it. But now they're congregating in in multiple different areas, rather than just in one where they created that whole that whole vibe, which was mm. you could feel the buzz in the air. And and you know, okay, I was only observing, and I think I probably ribbed you a lot about oh look at all these computer geeks <laughs> sitting there, which I, I did. Um, but mind you, it's not a go kart place anymore. It's just up the road from me, and it's not a go kart. They sell furniture in the place now, which is a pity. So <laughs> oh, no, if you bring it, come down to Melbourne, we'll go take a drone, and I'm sure they'll let us fly through. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Was actually in hindsight, it was a very special time, and I remember um, after an indoor, well, it, it felt it, it felt like one of those turning points in history where like this is a, this is an actual first, yeah, where this hasn't been possible for, from a technological perspective until now, yeah. um, and that's just that just made me want to be made me want to be part of it, frankly, um, and the technology is actually advanced leaps and bounds at an incredible rate since then the point where it's completely different now like we're only talking in the last sort of four years yes exactly well we always knew where the shortcomings were with fpv and i think the industry was working to close those gaps so for example the 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 vision and the quality of the the image that we saw in the goggles was pretty average back then and now we we knew that digital technology had to come in and um, the problem was latency um and then it takes a company like dji to go wait a second we've cracked that nut you know we now have can give you full hd you know high definition video digitally streamed to you long range built in all this kind of stuff um 120 120 frames a second live really that's just that's absolutely that's crazy. Like to get that that speed of transmission, is just is just phenomenal. And we know that there's still a way. You know, there's still things that could be developed on, and and then the rest of the the community will will, will catch up. And and before you know, it, we'll have you know digital. It's, it's a bit like that shift from the you know the was it thirty six meg or whatever to to two point four gig. Two point four. Yep. We still had to like find the right channel on our goggles to make sure that the the you know the the, the video feed was on the right channels. I think all that will go. You know, where people had to make sure that they weren't on the same band at a race meeting. I think that will end yeah. up being just a thing of the past in the near future easily. Yeah, I think, um, I think so it's yet to be, so the DJI digital stuff is yet to be fully adopted for races. Yeah, they haven't. And that is mainly because of the variable rate latency. It's not because of the latency itself. It's the fact that it, it increases and decreases yeah. depending on the bit rate of information transfer. Yeah. So if you're racing and you need to, that consistent latency, so that your brain learns to cut to um, counter for latency. That that's why the the races are still running analog. But that will that will be corrected, no doubt, very soon in the digital world. But certainly for anything for anybody other than full blown. That professional kind of level um, FP, FPV racing, digital is the way to go. I'm, con I'm convinced of it. Um, certainly the type of flying I enjoy doing these days, which is very, frankly, since I moved back from Melbourne, a very solo affair. Um, I never fly with anyone else. I'm always the lone ranger when it comes to FPV. And, um, and that's why I kind of fly more kind of cinematic 
low, fast sort of stuff um, these days rather than racing. Well, it's, it's interesting that the, the racing thing, I could never get my head around. I, I It's as if my brain could never keep up with something like that. It's, it's the most adrenaline-pumping thing ever. Like, compared to iMac gets the, you know, the, the pulse going, but racing an FPV drone is just a completely next level of, uh, you know, it's just, it's really intense, actually. Yeah, I, I, the, the whole, there's a, now this big movement towards the cinematic end of the uh, of the FPV sort of scene, which I, I do love. You know, I, I produce a lot of videos as part of my my day to day job, and and seeing how you know we had the DJI drone thing come in, and, and and of course they found their way into video production. But now seeing how FPV drones have come into that realm as well and being used in a different way. So for example, I saw an awesome video the other day of a downhill mountain biker, G. Atherton in, in Wales, and going down this trail, and there's an FPV drone following him. So now the drone could keep up, and the drone could do things such as he did a jump, and this drone went ahead of him and sort of did a loop around him and came in from a different yeah. angle. That you Now you can approach and, and um, objects in a different way using that FPV platform, and We've seen improvements in stabilization software, in camera stabilization, in cameras such as the GoPros and yeah. and things like yeah. that. That because one of the challenges was trying to keep the camera sort of still because we're still talking about GoPro footage here. And anybody who's a professional photographer will tell you that a GoPro image, when it comes to cinematic kind of footage, is pretty hard to get um, yeah. compared to you know a Sony dedicated camera or something like that. Yeah. But it's, it's getting easier and easier um, to get yeah, decent looking footage from a small GoPro, well, for I, sure. I, I, hyper, hyper smooth and some ND filters and it looks amazing. Well, I've just, I've just picked up a, a Hero 9 GoPro and I picked up a ND filter for it as well. Because um, one of my ideas actually, it, I, I've actually bought a cap a cap that has a GoPro mount built into it because I want to shoot like videos with me flying the plane and the new GoPro has a horizon sort of lock. And so the you, the camera will always be following the horizon. So you might get this nice smooth kind of thing. It's all done in camera, this horizon lock. So I'm going to, I'm going, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to test it out and we'll see um, how Silly's hat cam GoPro thing goes. But the well, I've, the uh, the GoPros these days can um, can deal with a badly tuned quad, so mm. it used to take a shitload of tuning to get a quad really buttery smooth um, before you could actually get usable footage from a GoPro. Mm. Nowadays, you can get it if you get it reasonably close. The GoPro will do the rest. I mean, and that's perfect for me, where I don't, I won't have, you know. 30 flights to, to get the perfect tune on a quad. I want to be able to go and build it and fly it and, and get footage straight away. And it's just getting easier and easier. Well, I know that when uh, I know when you've had a bit of free time in, in between your busy, hectic schedule because you always end up producing another drone edit. And the last one when you were out with mates who supposedly went trout fishing and you were buzzing the trout away with your, uh, with your drone. So... How often are you getting out with the drone? Are you still getting down to the local park with a small small quad or something like that or too hard? Oh, look, occasionally, silly. I mean, this year's been a bit tricky with the whole, you know, COVID and work and everything. 
etc. But um, I, I, I do occasionally get, yeah, I'll probably get out three or four times a year with the drones at least. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, at least you can do it in an hour compared to the planes, which are a bit more of an effort. Um, it's just, it's actually getting harder and harder to find spots in Sydney, frankly, where you can, can fly drones safely without people around. So with the video you saw was me in the middle of nowhere um, down at the snowy mountains. And it's, it's really awesome just being able to hang around and um, have all the space in the world. Well, I've, uh, I'm a big fan of, I've got some FPV drones and I fly, I've only fly them at my holiday house in the country because it's just a better environment to fly at, you know, that, I'm scooting yeah. along this open plane kind of thing or along a ridge or something like that. And to me, that's cooler than going to the local park in the middle of a footy ground and just going yep. around in circles. It's it's always better yeah. when you're I'll, out. I mean, I'll do that. I'll do that for fun. I'll go and find the footy field, but no one wants to see that video. So I well, don't bother posting it. I have seen those videos. And again, you've got this penchant for finding obstacles. And so all the videos, you going, oh, here's some uh, goalposts. I'm going to go through them. And Here's a tree, and or maybe oh, there's another gap that you know, I don't know. You just like finding physical objects to fly around. If you don't, well, I've I've seen you do it with with foamies and stuff like that, but uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So just, I, I just love the dan- the danger of it. Oh, I just want to be Top Gun, silly, don't we all? Just like hitting the gaps. Well, I, I always say to people that every time I fly, I've got the Top Gun theme song playing in my mind. <laughs> uh, when you brush your teeth, you got the Top Gun. Oh, wait a second. I've got a guitar here next to me. Wait a second. <laughs> so that's that's. that's I play that every night. It's a family theme yeah. song. Uh, we play uh, yeah. Top Gun. Um, <laughs> the only song you know. Well, it's the only, it's the only, song. So, the only song you need to I went, really? I went to a guitar teacher and said, I need to know one song. And they said, what is it? I went, Top Gun theme song. Let me sing it to you. <laughs> Steve Stevens. Do you know, I, I like Steve Stevens, who played the guitar line, do you know he did the whole uh, recording in one take? He said it didn't sound wow. the same when he broke it up. So the whole thing was done in 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 one, one uh, sweep, which is, as you know, as a musician, is Impressive. pretty hard to do in a recording studio. But... Good old Steve. He's still going yeah, around, happens. Steve Stevens. He's still got the hair and, you know, he still plays the song now and again. Um, I remember what, my, one of my mates had that had that movie on uh, Laserdisc ooh. on this massive stereo system and this, like, plasma TV. It was amazing. Didn't the... When's the... The second version hasn't come out yet, has it? Top Gun 2? No, yeah. There's, there's heaps of, like, teasers and stuff coming out. Yeah. They look ridiculous. I reckon it's ready to but, go um, and they've just held off. Pretty soon. It's pretty sad. Yeah. We'll have to go and see it. I wonder what the theme song will be. Better be the same one. If not, if not, I'm going to learn a new song <laughs> to find a guitar teacher. How do you play that song again? Uh, now, um, we, we've established that you're time poor at the moment because you're just, you know, big wig lawyer. Where do you see yourself moving, though, in the hobby? Like, what is your aim with, with your hobby activity into the future? And I'm talking into old age as well, which is next year. <laughs> oh, look, I don't know, Sui. Um, uh, I'm definitely in it for the long haul. So, you know, I've got I've got small small children, demanding job, um, but I'm I'm no less committed to to flying 
um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm certainly still passionate about it. I miss it. Um, still find the sim. So, um, you know, when I'm ready, um, I'd love to come bursting out of the blocks and, you know, sp spend more time getting, you know, back into shape from a flying perspective and, you know, maybe maybe pushing to, to the next level at some point. That'd be nice. Um, you know, getting, you know, pushing the next level with drones, with fixed wing, back into indoor, who knows? But what'd be really cool is to actually, um, to try and build a bit of a scene, frankly, in Sydney, because um, there's just not a lot going on um, in the flying scene. And um, it, that's a bit of a shame. I mean, I hate to admit it, but I'm not actually the member of a club that has a flying field at the moment. So literally the only flying I do is when I go regional centres for IMAC comps. Um, so on the bucket list is definitely to sort of get back more in the scene locally and, and go and find those younger guys who are interested in, in learning precision flight, 3D, whatever. Um, and uh, seeing, seeing uh, if there's still enthusiasm for that sort of thing out there. Yeah, I think I feel sorry for Sydney siders because trying to get to a local flying field is a bit of a bit of an excursion because of you know the the way Sydney has developed. And I suppose in Melbourne we're a bit more fortunate that you know my 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 club is 45 minutes drive, which is it's not a hard drive. It's it's easy to get to. It's pretty good. So it's not too bad. But yeah. in Sydney, it's just it's hard to find land that is you know relatively accessible so you can go and fly model planes and so you do it is going to be a day out which makes it harder for for busy people that have got young families where you know you've got to do more and all that kind of stuff and busy jobs you can't just duck up to the field that's 20 minutes away be there for an hour and a half and come home it's it's going to be an all-day affair and that's what i've noticed with you it's like you said it's i'll go to kudamundra for the weekend and i'll just that's fly it. as much as I can, get out of my system, and I'll come back in four months' time. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> that's 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 my format. But that's where that's where I think things like indoor are really important um, because you can go and find that community hall and you know the club I'm part of, Sydney Model Aero Club, um, does a bit of indoor flying, and you know it's just as enjoyable and just as challenging as the, as the big stuff, but with less risk. So there's definitely opportunity to do it. Um, the key, I think, is to um, get somebody hooked on the, <laughs> on the cheaper, less risky stuff, and then they have to just keep getting bigger and bigger, and before you know it, they're, they're flying a um, you know, 200cc composite. Yeah. And didn't know what happened to all of their cash. Well, we've got this situation here in Victoria where we've got a really healthy IMAX scene, that has been developed thanks to Michael Andrusik, who's just done the world's greatest job. Like, oh, of course, there is a guy that you know he led the the, the movement and ran come, come try days, and it worked. And he got literally 14, 15 people turning up in Victoria, which was up from two. We knew every IMAC Amazing. pilot in Victoria. Now you know we know half of them, maybe. But getting yep. those guys and seeing whether any of those are willing to look at the freestyle route as well and, and encompass that. That's the next sort of thing. I yeah. think there's an opportunity there. They're the kind of guys that you'll end up seeing at indoor events and um, fun, you know, 3D fun flies and things like that where 
you know, now yeah. they want to break the shackles of, of the structure of iMac maybe and and, and dabble it at, at Freestyle. They'll still keep on flying iMac, but they also want to just go and hang out with other guys that want to just cut loose a bit bit more. Um, so I think there's 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 an opportunity for a resurgence, but somebody has to make a step. And you know, I, I you know had an attempt at it um, with the events that that I ran. They were really good, and and I, I still haven't parked. And they were great. I've I've, I've I drove all the way from Sydney. Silly. I remember for, those, for at least one of those events. Oh, I know, and you slept in the clubhouse next to the fire. It was just it was uh, that were awesome experiences, and the friendships we made out of those events is just there's still you know Marty Morgan. I talk to him all the time. He lives in you know, South Australia and I haven't seen him for years, but, and Chris Rudder up near Tamworth, you know, these guys that just, yeah. we, we, we got together and, and that I'm, I haven't totally got rid of the idea of doing that. Um, my biggest concern is, okay, there's not much of a community at the moment that will turn up, but I suppose I've got to build it and then they'll come and, you know, it starts to snowball after a while and uh, it's always the case. Now we're going to finish up because, you know, we're both busy and we've got stuff to do. I've got, Oh, I thought December was always a quiet month for me, but it's been terrible this month. And well, you're you're on holidays now for a couple of months, so you're you're lucky. But there's a question. I'm on, I, I'm on daddy daycare. I'm on parental leave, so it's not just holidays. I'm a, I'm a, taking time out to be a dad, which well, is not not the same. Well, but yeah, it's, nappies. it's amazing nonetheless. Well, you know, there's a. I'm going to ask you this question. I ask everybody this question, which is. What has been your favourite model of all time? Favourite model of all time. Um, Joanna, can I only pick one? Yes, please. Like, I'll be giving you people leeway for two, but it is what has been your favourite model. Um, He's looking at the uh, the probably shelf. probably the sixty inch Extreme Flight Extra, just because. It's that plane that I've actually been able to go and fly a hell of a lot. Um, and it's just been rock solid. Uh, I really like that that 60-inch format. You can actually go out, do proper practice, precision, freestyle, 3D, a whole bit. You can go and have a few flights in quick succession and, and go home. Um, and I've, so I've... The plane I've had the most flights on, and therefore it's probably been the most valuable in terms of my flying experience, frankly. And it's translated translated directly to the big stuff, which I don't get to take out as much. Sure, I enjoy flying them when I do get out there, but um, in terms of bang for buck, amazing. Yeah, well, you know what? Jace Ducius says exactly the same thing. He flies small planes a lot, and he he said to me, put it this way: if you can fly a sixty-inch plane really well. Then flying the bigger planes easier because the bigger is you know, more stable yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so for sure. He for does sure. he does a lot of his practice on sixty inch size planes and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, you know what? What one thing? I mean, when I first started out, I went and watched a hell of a lot of Daniel Holman videos. He is phenomenal. Seeing what that guy could do with a forty eight inch forty eight inch extra in the snow. Forty eight inch. I have in one. It is. I have a forty. I have a forty-eight inch extra extreme flight extra, and it is a phenomenal aeroplane. It does not fly like a small plane. It is just, it is precise. It, it's got momentum. It's just, it's a kind of plane that, I, again, I can't crash it, and I can take it out when it's blowing a gale and know that I'll get it home in one piece. It's that reliable. 
But that Dan Holman, those oh, yeah. Dan Holman videos, just, and how Dan Holman was just absolute gun, absolute massive, gun. yeah. And and I have to say, um, that plane's actually the sixty inch. It's actually oh look, he's showing right the sixty inch. There. there it is, red and white and black one. Yeah, it's like brand, brand new. new. Still looks brand new. It does. Well over a thousand flights, probably six years old. What's your battery? Um, What's your battery setup? Are you running a six S or a five S or what? Six S thirty three hundred milliamps. Um, never even broken a prop in all that time. Um, my newest plane is four years old. There you go. I was, oh, I'm about means that. It means I don't fly enough. And my other my other favorite plane. So I have to mention it because I'm staring straight at it. Is uh, the Twisted Hobbies Sukhoi, oh, yeah, otherwise yeah. known as the Noodle Bowl plane, which yeah. I would have had when I was in Melbourne flying in the with you. Yes, um, I've had a couple of them now, and it's um, an amazing EPP uh, indoor flyer. Yeah, that which, is um, that, that was a good plane. I saw you go crazy with that. I think you've probably got a new one since Melbourne, though, haven't you? Uh, probably I've had two of them. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably a newer, it, I think slightly newer one. The, I think you battered one up a bit going crazy indoor, which generally yep. happens. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely they've become a bit of a sacrificial uh, aircraft, but that's fine. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim, it's been, it's been an awesome pleasure to have you on the podcast, something that I've always wanted to have you on. And what's interesting is, the passion that you have for aero modeling, even though you're extremely time poor and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, he is very time poor. I can tell you now that he, that you still have this strong passion. When you got on the line, you're telling me how you've moved house and you had your planes in the back and you're telling me with so much enthusiasm, how I'm going to get a new desk here and it's going to be set up with my soldering station. And I'm you know I can work on my airplanes and all this that, you can tell that even, and I always say this, aero modeling is just not about going to the flying field. It's everything. It's about thinking about model aeroplanes that, you know, I don't, I've been flying a truckload, especially in the past year. And back when I was producing the Flat Out RC magazine, I hardly flew, but every single day I thought of a model aeroplane at some point in time, or I spoke to a friend that was in flying or, or whatever. And even for me, I've got this outlet being the podcast now and some of the social media activity that every day error modeling plays a part, even when we're not standing at the field. And I know that that's the same case for you. It's not a, it's not a passing phase for me. It's a, it's a lifelong thing for sure. Well, I've seen so, the videos uh, of you flying your drone in the office at, uh, at work. <laughs> hey, do you know what? Uh, Lemley's actually asked me recently on top of being, um, general counsel whether i'd like to be the chief drone pilot so i'm actually doing my uh, commercial uh, <laughs> drone pilot's license as well just that, because it's um would be hilarious on the cv that would be quite funny to have you need a new business card for that as well it'd be like you know <laughs> chief or chief legal whatever and then uh and chief drone pilot as well <laughs> the, i'll tell you what next i'll have you cleaning the floors as uh, well the, no, no, the CFO asked me for a joke and I said yes, so I'm, I'm doing the course. See, there you go. Well, Tim, absolute pleasure to catch up with you. I haven't seen you for ages. When I'm up in Sydney next, we'll definitely catch up, which I don't know when because I think I can travel to Sydney, but it'll be next year at this stage. But um, pleasure to have you on the Flat Out RC podcast and uh, get out to the flying field. Thanks, and, Shelley. We'll, we'll workshop this idea about the clinic. 
Yeah, you've uh, you've started something. I think it's really really appreciate the chat. Great to catch up, and um, hopefully we can catch up face to face soon. We will. I, I can't wait. Mr. Awesome. McDonald, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Catch you soon, mate. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. I'm going to call it a day right there. A big thank you to Tim McDonald for joining me. I hope you enjoyed that chat and learnt something from it. Amazing. I still can't believe how much time Tim spent on the simulator, which you know he put down to his improving his skills immensely. You know, he learnt most of his aerobatics, 3D sort of flying on the simulator. And I suppose it's a bit hard when you live in Sydney. There are not a lot of inner Sydney sort of city kind of clubs. In other states, we're a bit more fortunate. But uh, if you live in Sydney, you've got to travel a bit bit further to get out to a flying club, and that, that mean, means more time, and time is poor for many people, including Tim. But a big thank you to him, and I can't wait to catch up face-to-face with him, hopefully in 2021. Well, as I said, Christmas is coming, so please, I hope you're getting all organised, get your models ready for your Christmas holidays, uh, get out there, enjoy this great hobby of ours, aero modelling. Summertime here in Melbourne means, and in Australia, means warm weather, so you probably no doubt get to the beach or something like that. If you're listening internationally, you could be coming into winter, enjoy the snow, go skiing or something if you can't go flying, just stay busy. So anyway, big thank you for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Dog's barking. That means I have to go. Talk to you next week.